This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Tommy John. Tommy John makes underwear that keeps everything in place, whichever way a man moves. For 20% off your first purchase, go to tommyjohn.com fool and use the promo code fool. That's F-O-O-L. That's tommyjohn.com fool, promo code fool. It's Thursday, October 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Hey, now. It's a pleasure to see you. It's always a pleasure to see you. We've got Balloonicorn in the studio as well. Well, she is wise. Mm-hmm. She is wise. You know, and it's it is she. We get that question from time to time. Sure. Um, we are all about diversity in the workplace. Absolutely. Really, um, she's our only Balloonicorn in the office, is. unfortunately. But we're looking to uh, incorporate some more Balloonicorns into our work. Uh, speaking of work, let's talk about an out of work CEO. John G. Stumpf, the CEO of, or former CEO at this point, of Wells Fargo, announced his departure very abruptly on Wednesday. Um, People have been calling for his head ever since this whole Wells Fargo debacle came to light. Uh, But it came as a surprise that he just stepped down, not just so abruptly, but also because the board of directors over at Wells Fargo had begun an investigation into what had happened at the company uh, and hadn't made any sort of ruling at all about if they were going to fire him or keep him or just punish him uh, or whatever uh, they would have decided. That was way down the road, and he just said, no thanks, I'll see you later. What is your take on John G. Stumpf pulling the ripcord and getting the heck out of there? I, I probably, <laughs> honestly, would have probably done the same thing. I think um, the bottom line is, when it, whenever you're in a position of leadership like this, I mean, it, you're assuming responsibility for everything that goes on within the entire company, whether or not you even directly had anything to do with it. I right. mean, the buck has to stop somewhere, and... and you know, we look all of the time at these CEOs. We talk about these just absurd pay packages that they get, and these golden parachutes that they get, and it's it's a point of constant criticism. And I think fairly so. I mean, there there are a lot of pretty crappy CEOs out there that make a lot of money. Now, I'm not going to put Stump in that in that classification. I mean, I I don't want to make light of this situation. I mean, we're talking about a guy who did lose his job. But on the flip side, there. I mean, there was an incentive structure set up at these banking centers within Wells Fargo that really begged for this behavior. Right. And, and having worked um, at, at a big bank, uh, I, I've seen this type of behavior as well. I mean, the incentive structure was just set up that way. So, number one, I, I think it's worth noting that, that Wells Fargo is not unique, I think, in this case. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other banks that set up these types of, of incentive structures as well. And so, I'm very certain that Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, and, and other banking CEOs all over the country are going through their incentive structures with a fine-tooth comb right now. <laughs> That's true. Uh, because there's got to at least be sort of this feeling that you've got to keep, you know, uh, you got to be looking over your shoulder a little bit, because I don't know that this investigation necessarily stops with Wells Fargo, but, but I think this is something that had to happen. In order for this bank to be able to turn the page and move forward, you have to be able to sort of assume new leadership there. And so I think ultimately it was the right thing to do. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they put this behind them because right. it's not like, oh, everything is better. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, it's certainly true. No, I, saw, I mean, I, it was interesting. I mean, I saw Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. on Twitter. She's been obviously very critical of this and, and, and rightly so. 
she said on Twitter yesterday, as I, as I said, Wells Fargo CEO Stump should resign, return every nickel he made during the scam, and face DOG, uh, DOJ SEC investigation. He's one for three. Right. So Stump is sitting there thinking, man, this is going to drag out for a while, and he probably doesn't have to. He doesn't want to have to worry about like running a company and recovering uh, that that company sort of brand in the face of having to deal with this personal crisis as sure, well. Sure, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, you mentioned uh, the other banks out there going through their own structures uh, very closely. One of the things that Tom Gardner uh, really focuses on, really emphasizes when he invests in the company is corporate culture. Uh, it's something he takes very seriously. Uh, for our Fool One members, you know that probably pretty well. Uh, how, as an investor, as, as your average man on the street investor, how do you analyze a company's corporate culture so that you can make sure you know something like this might be coming down the pipeline Sunday, or, or just make sure that nothing like this, these you know, incentives are in place? I, I feel like that's got to be very difficult for the man on the street to see, unless he has that insider access to a company. What's your take on analyzing corporate culture? Well, I think you said it right there. It is extremely difficult to actually pinpoint. We talk about this a lot. It's very easy to look at a stock and sort of come up with the valuation side of it, looking at its competitive advantages and just sort of the basic fundamentals of the business at hand. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when it comes to leadership, you really have to be able to dig in a little bit further, look at things like incentive structure, look at things like track record, uh, do a little Google foo there and understand where this leadership has been, what they've done in the past, because Everything up until this point led us to believe that Stump was a, a great CEO doing a wonderful job. 2013 had, Banker of the Year. Yeah, and he had the endorsement of Warren Buffett, who mm -hmm. obviously is somewhat of a decent track record himself. <laughs> sure. Um, this shows how quickly that can change. And I think the challenge for the new CEO, Mr. Sloan, here is that he, you can't just make this leap that because he's now the CEO, everything is going to be better because he's been with the bank for a long time as well. Mm -hmm. And he's served in executive positions from chief financial officer to chief operating officer um, and everywhere in between. So I think to assume that he wasn't at least partly aware of what was going on would be a bit naive. Sure. Uh, with that said, I think they probably replaced Stump with the right guy. He, he at least knows how this bank works. And because he wasn't in the spotlight before, he can probably help them turn the page here. But but yeah, I mean back back to your question, how do you assess culture? It's extremely difficult to do. And it requires it requires honestly some judgment. And I think that the the longer you are a stock analyst like we like we are here, the more experience you get with it, the more companies you analyze, the more leadership teams you see, and and then you can sort of say, okay, well, how important is culture versus what the CEO's vision is? Is the CEO imperative to this company's success, or is this company kind of in in, in sort of a, a cruise control mode, so to speak? A lot of different things come into play here, and in every situation is unique. Speaking of a unique situation, Timothy J. Sloan is the new or up and coming CEO of Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo announcing third quarter earnings on Friday. Sure. Talk about being thrown into the deep end of the pool. He has to deal with all of the obvious questions that are going to come from all of this scandal, as well as replacing Mr. Stumpf and talking about how he's going to lead the company in yeah. the future. And on top of that, he's going to have to talk about third quarter earnings, which 
presumably a lot of people are going to have questions about how much of that money came from these corporate accounts, or excuse me, these accounts uh, that were you know set up under fake names and fake email addresses. Real quick, what's your take on Wells Fargo? How is Tim going to handle Friday? How are investors going to feel on Friday? Well, I think this quarter is going to be. Just sort of the tip of the iceberg, room. I think this is just the first in in a number of quarterly releases where he's going to have to at least address this to 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 an extent. But the best thing he can do is to get out in front of it immediately, take accountability for mm-hmm. it. Don't try to palm this off on anyone else, but speak forward. You know, talk about moving forward. Uh, I think that Wells Fargo, because they have such a such a big position as as the mortgage banker of our country. I mean, we consider the housing market here and the trillions of dollars that that the housing market makes up. Wells Fargo is a is a major part of that. I mean, that is the market leader when it comes to, to mortgage banking. And and so the benefit there is that with all of that exposure in the mortgage business, they they can really push their consumer banking as well. Mm-hmm. They have a brand. They have identity. They have sort of the unique position to in today's banking society, in today's banking world, where it's not so easy just to go close your banking account and go elsewhere because you have so many things tied to your checking accounts now, where it becomes a lot more difficult just to go ahead and switch. I think they have a great opportunity here to to try to to make amends, go ahead and really work on on building that brand for talk about their vision of the future as as opposed to harping on the past. Of course, analysts aren't going to give him a full pass on that. They're going to ask questions about that. But I think anything he can do to sort of frame it as forward-looking as possible, uh, not talk about what happened, but what they want to do in order to try to help rebuild this brand's uh, identity and culture and really uh, sort of the, the market, the mind share that the brand has, has, has gained throughout the years. Yeah, the goodwill. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be crucial. And, and again, I've always been of the mindset that yeah, I mean, we're going to hear a lot of people complain about this. I mean, you go into Twitter, you see people all the time fussing about what happened and whatnot. It's one thing to complain about it. I think a lot of people out there probably say they would just want to go close their banking account, but at the end of the day, they're probably not because right. it's not that easy to do. And I think that for Wells Fargo, it's, it would be very easy for them to dangle a little carrot out there for account holders to say, "Listen, we're sorry. Mm-hmm. Here's what we want to do to try to make amends mm-hmm. in going forward." Uh, obviously, adjust the incentive structure so that nothing like this happens again, because this really was all about the incentive structure to begin with. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Amazon. Uh, Amazon made headlines today. Uh, as the holiday season approaches, a lot of retailers out there will hire seasonal workers. Uh, Amazon has announced it's going to add 120,000 seasonal positions this year. Uh, that's up from 100,000 last year. That growth rate speaks volumes, I think, sure. uh, to to how Amazon has been successful about upsetting the status quo uh, with those old-school retailers. For instance, you look at Target and Macy's. Uh, Target is going to hire 70,000 additional workers in its stores. That's the same as last year. Macy's is going to hire 83,000. That's down from 85,000 last year. Amazon Increased its number by twenty percent. That again, it just it boggles the mind to think about how much Amazon has disrupted retail. But then you see numbers like this, and suddenly it makes a lot of sense. Suddenly it's all clear. <laughs> you know, a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, we we were talking about the fact that Amazon had surpassed Walmart in market cap. Mm. Like Amazon had become a bigger company by market capitalization than Walmart. Which was interesting from a number of different perspectives. One I, I kind of couldn't get over was the fact that Walmart still does about 
four times the revenue uh, that Amazon does today. Now, that gap is closing very quickly, but when we were talking about that 14, 15 months ago, all of a sudden now, Amazon is almost double the market cap of Walmart. And so, this is a very good example of that the market is a forward-looking mechanism mm-hmm. that, that we always talk about. The market doesn't care as much about what you've done as it does about what you tell us you're going to do. And so, when we look at Amazon, for example, we know that every holiday season, Jeff Bezos sees that as nothing but pure opportunity. And the estimates for Amazon's revenue in this coming holiday quarter are close to $45 billion in sales. Now, that's about 25% up from last year's numbers. Mm-hmm. And and that's right in line with when, when you're growing your sales at that rapid of a clip, particularly considering what Amazon does, I mean, you need to have the staff there to be able to kind of fill that void, packing boxes, shipping stuff out, and, and all, all of that. And, and so, I think the benefit that Amazon has here is they've always been very clear from the beginning that they want to be the world's most customer-centric company. And that seems like an easy thing to say, but as you know, as I know, I mean, I think probably anyone out there that has ever worked in customer service in any capacity, customer service is really hard. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard because you're working with a unique individual every single time. Their situation is unique to them, and you want to try to make it the best experience possible for them. Right. And and now they're doing Amazon is focused on doing this on this on this grand scale. Now they know that customers really care about a couple of things. Low prices and getting that stuff shipped to them as quickly as possible. And and lucky enough for Amazon, they do both of those things really, really well. And and that's why they staff up so heavily during the holiday season is because you're gonna see, I think, over the course of the next ten to twenty years really, again, e commerce is so young, even though it's Kind of what we're used to. You think about my kids, for example, at ten and eleven years old now, they've never really known a world without e-commerce. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I, I like to look at their behavior in a lot of cases and try to sort of see how the investing world may look over the course of the next ten and twenty years. And and every time I look at them and their behavior, it just screams buy Amazon, buy Amazon because. They've got a little piece of, of everything, whether it's e-commerce, entertainment, music, cloud computing, and, and it just keeps on growing. And uh, and and now we we see they're talking about establishing a little bit more of a physical infrastructure mm-hmm. with possible bookstores and/or convenience stores. And I mean, it just goes on and on. And we go back to talking about how important culture is and leadership and, and uh, Amazon's success is certainly because of the people that work there but Jeff Bezos is the, is the man that really has has executed on this vision and i think as long as he's around you've got to really feel pretty good about amazon's chances all right we're going to move on but before we talk about alta i want to give a shout out to our friends at tommy john the revolution in men's underwear that focuses on fit fabric and function they've got shirts that stay tucked stock socks that stay up and underwear that keeps everything in place Whichever way a man moves. And I got to say, so our friends at Tommy John, they actually sent us some shirts, some underwear, and some socks to try out uh, the other week. Were you on the receiving end of one of those care packages? I was going to say, I never got any of this underwear. I did. uh, And I have to say, fantastic stuff. Okay, so now the question is. Yeah. Before Tommy John, yeah. you a boxers guy or a briefs guy? You know what? I, I was. Uh, I or was. Are you going to command? Well, that's, well, that, that's it. Balloon Unicorn is here. Let's not talk about that. But now, now that I've got Tommy John, I'm all Tommy John all the time. I, I'm actually going to use this 20 percent off your first order 
uh, code, promo code FOOL, uh, to get myself some more. Probably get some from Dad for Christmas as well. Uh, I wasn't. I was a little skeptical at first, honestly, uh, because these shirts. Uh, I, I I wear my undershirts. You know, I gotta keep everything compressed. But their shirts are are long, and that's the thing. Mm. They make these undershirts that stay tucked because they feature this patented taper design. Uh, so they're longer and more form fitting, so they don't just you know ride up on you and come unbunched uh, you know, throughout the day. Uh, I thought, you know, who cares? You know, it's 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 a <laughs> yeah. long shirt basically. But no, I'm I'm serious, man. I. I am not going back. If Tommy John was here, I would shake his hand, quite frankly. Uh, so, big fan of Tommy John. Uh, you all listening out there, uh, we're going to give you a special offer to our listeners. You get 20% off your first order by going to tommyjohn.com fool and using the promo code fool. Plus, you get free U.S. shipping on any order over $50. So, that's tommyjohn.com fool, promo code fool. And thanks again to Tommy John for their support of Motley Fool and support of, uh, well, yeah, we're going to leave that off the table here. Well, I tell you, man, I hear all the time about Tommy John on the Howard Stern Show, yeah, and that yeah. piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Chris, the other day, got me thinking a little bit more about it, but right here, Mark, you, you've taken me over the top here, man. 20% off your first order. That's oh all I'm going to say. I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to leave it there. All right, uh, let's move on to our final story. That's going to be Ulta Salon Cosmetics and fragrance, Fragrances. Uh, they upped their guidance. Stock is up about 8% today uh, as the company just continues to blow it out of the water. Where is this coming from? Ulta is up 29% year-to-date. What? Yeah, I'm a little bitter about this. What? I'm a little bitter about this. This is uh, the, Ulta is a business we have on the watch list in Million Dollar Portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, brought it over uh, to the watch list in the summer during our internship program, and my intern, Jake, just really knocked out of the park with a great presentation on Ulta and convinced us all. And we have really been waiting for Ulta's price to come back to a place where we felt a bit more comfortable adding it to the portfolio. Today is not helping that cause, Mark. Uh, But hats off to Ulta, because this is actually a pretty significant guidance raise. When you look at it from the earnings side, uh, 8% comps guidance, they're raising up about 20%. I think the biggest point here, though, uh, which really, which really, uh, it, it points out the biggest question we had in regard to Alta was how big they felt like they could get their physical store footprint. Because mm. there are in this age of e-commerce, there are concepts that benefit from the bricks and mortar uh, presence, and sure. I think that Alta is one of those. I think generally speaking. They they have a clientele that really appreciates being able to go into the store and and see and touch and, and try the makeup and offerings that are in there, so they they now see uh, this range of stores from fourteen hundred to seventeen hundred domestically versus the twelve hundred that they saw before, and so we're looking really on all three all three fronts here. This growth story is is extending probably a bit further out than we initially anticipated. Now we had. Tied a price range around two hundred to two hundred twenty dollars per share, where we would start getting really interested with MVP. Would probably favor the upper the upper side of that range now because of this type of guidance here. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, this is a very a good business that really just a couple of years ago was was in a bit of a crisis, um, and new leadership came in there and really uh, really turned things around for them. I think. It's it's a it's a very resilient market makeup is, and we've even seen J C Penney try to pursue more um, of 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 that market as being sort of a cornerstone of its strategy with Sephora in their stores. I think at the end of the day, Ulta is a is a a better investment idea, no question. And and again, I mean, we see 
we see pre-announcements come out all the time. A lot of the times, pre-announcements are kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Um, today, it was pretty good, and, <laughs> and and I think the market is reacting appropriately. This is a very well-run business that seems to still have a lot of opportunity. So is it too late? It's up twenty nine percent year to date. You you got it on the watch list. You're just gonna sit back and keep on watching it go up. I mean, what what do we what do we do? I it's not too late. I think that when you look at the business and you think about the valuation today, it's hard for me to get in front of this one and say, yes, it's a buy. I think the stock is trading around forty times full year estimates right now, mm-hmm. and that that reflects a lot of robust growth assumptions in in the probably is is fair. I think with a business like this, particularly in retail, you want to get a little bit more of a margin of, of safety there. But I think that this is one of those investments that you could look to buy and hold for a long period of time. Mm. I wouldn't say buy and hold. I would say buy to hold. You got to keep an eye on retail businesses because they can be a little bit uh, exposed. Uh, but I think in the case of Alta, because they focus on this market. I mean, the makeup market is really is really resilient. And I mean, as the father of daughters, I mean, I can tell you, like, I mean, there's more nail polish and rouge and, for God's sake, lip gloss in my house than I can fathom to guess. Uh, <laughs> Ulta has already gotten a few of our dollars, and I suspect they'll probably get a few more. I'd love to add it to the portfolio. We just need to see the stock price pull back a little bit for us to get comfortable. All right, uh, let's go ahead and pull our listeners. So, uh, for those of you who didn't join us on Facebook, uh, we are live on Facebook right now. Uh, folks out there have been listening, have been watching, and have been writing some questions in the comment really? section of the uh, video. So, I've got two questions for you. Be from, uh, I've, I'm going to try. Um, the first question, I think I know the answer to. I'm going to take a shot at it before I leave it to you. But uh, from Robert B asks, uh, if Hillary Clinton wins, do you think a medals play is, or excuse me, a Medals play up is in the cards. Seems like interest rates would go up. Uh, now this seems like the time to mention that uh, while macro events like elections and Fed and all those things you always hear about and all the news headlines uh, are important in a general sense, we try not to make make too much of them here at the Fool. We focus on fundamentals. We focus on good companies, good businesses with long-term prospects, yeah. not so much about what's going to happen if Hillary wins, what's going to happen if Trump wins, what's going to happen if the Fed increases, decreases rates 2.5%, where's the dollar, where's oil? Again, that stuff can be important, but it's just not that important to us. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's stuff that matters, but I think it's stuff that matters sort of on a quarter-to-quarter basis. It's 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 what makes financial news. Without that stuff, there would really be no financial news, and sure. we probably wouldn't even be doing this to a degree. But um, I, I would say two things. Number one, regardless of the situation, I think that metals. I, I would never favor making metals any type of a a. Heavily weighted holding in 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 my portfolio. Mm-hmm. I think that metals are okay if you're looking for something to maybe protect against inflation a little bit. But again, you sort of look at, at metals, gold in particular. You think what's its real value there, other than just existing and being sort of what it is. Um, so I, I think that no matter who who wins the election, I mean, we're in a situation where monetary policy has to tighten here at some point. Rates have to go up because really they can't go any lower. I mean they could, but I mean they'd be, you know, it would be total chaos at that point. Um so I think that no matter who wins, interest rates are going up. It's a matter of when, not if. And from there, 
yeah, I think that we probably see uh, maybe maybe a little bit of a different perspective on the stock market. I think the stock market has benefited uh, quite nicely from a low interest rate environment, just basically because there's nowhere else to get that kind of a return. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to find it in housing. Uh, you're not going to really find it in the bond market anywhere. You're not going to find it in metals. Um, so the stock market has really benefited a lot from this. But again, I think back to your point, we talk about the fundamentals of business. I mean, the stock market has benefited nicely, but it also benefits from the fact that it's made up of a lot of really good, uh, solid businesses. Mm-hmm. And those businesses are going to continue to open their doors and do a lot of business in the face of whoever the president is and whatever the interest rate policy is. Um, so that's why we invest the way we invest. We talk about these businesses like Amazon and Starbucks and Alphabet and Facebook and. Those are all businesses that are going to do great, whatever the monetary policy and macro picture is. Um, so, yeah, like you said, we don't really base our investment decisions on on who's going to be the next president. Terrible question, Robert. No, I'm just kidding. No. From BY, I noticed that pharmaceutical stocks have been going up lately, though the health industry hasn't been great and most other stocks are down. What's going on? Why is the sudden change of interest amongst retail investors? Uh, what is going on in the pharmaceutical industry? For a long time, it was the mergers and acquisitions uh, that seemed to rule the day uh, with these giant pharmace- pharmaceutical companies eating up each other. Now, I, BY makes a fair point. It continues to look like a solid industry uh, while everything else kind of flounders along. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's a solid industry because it, it, pharmaceuticals, is, it, they focus on obviously medicine that people need in whatever capacity. But I think that generally speaking, we look at the way healthcare reform has has sort of changed here over the past five years. And the bottom line with that healthcare reform is that it ultimately is opening up to a larger pool of insured patients. Mm-hmm. So there are more people now with insurance than there were before. And what that more people means is there's going to be more demand for medicine, whatever those pharmaceutical companies produce. And then you add to that sort of this this notion that we have a lot of baby boomers that are starting to retire, and that cycle is going to go on here for, for a number of years. So, I think just it's sort of supply and demand really at play here, where you have more people in the market who are going to be demanding more of those pharmaceuticals. Ergo, you probably see some speculation going into those pharmaceutical companies bidding those stocks up because they feel like that future looks pretty bright for them. And they're probably right. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, last question. We've got Robert E. asking about Wells Fargo. Perhaps it's lazy to mimic Warren Buffett, but I'm interested to hear his take on the Wells Fargo and got quotes situation. <laughs> uh, he can't grow his position anymore. He's maxed out. Should I grow mine? Grow the position of Wells Fargo. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Wells Fargo, we, we've always said that this is going to be something that eventually will be in the rearview mirror and the stock will recover. Wells Fargo is a very big bank. And so when I look at it, it, it doesn't strike me as the most attractive investment in the world just because I don't see a lot of growth there. It'd probably be a pretty steady income play, though. Hmm. So, depending on what type of investment you're looking for your portfolio, if you're younger and looking to grow your wealth, this might not be your cup of tea. If you're older and you're looking to protect your wealth, there probably is something there because Wells Fargo isn't going anywhere. Uh, to the point about Buffett, yes, he owns a little bit under 10%, I think, of oh, Wells yeah. Fargo. It was pretty obvious from the beginning. I mean, he was, he was sort of keeping his mouth shut on the whole issue. And I think that really he was just trying to let the right thing play out here. So, I'm sure that he is all right with with Sump stepping down. Um, 
I don't think it's lazy to mimic Warren Buffett. I mean, I also think that Warren's Buffett's success is something that he has built over the past 40, 45 years. So it's one thing to kind of look at what he did, but I think it would be a mistake to extrapolate that for the next 30 or 45 years beyond the point of just looking for fundamentally good businesses and buying their stocks and planning to hold on to them for long periods of time. I've got one last question for you. We'll go ahead. Netflix reporting on Monday. In 30 words or less, what do you think is going to happen? I think Netflix is a wonderful business. I think that the subscriber growth is probably starting to wane. That's 22. And I, think that's conf- I think that's concerning investors. So I think the, the international picture is going to be more and more uh, taking the center stage for them in the coming months. That was far more than 30 words, Jason. I'm just not very eloquent. Jason Moser, Balloonicorn, thank you for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reef. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.